and trains, and we're prepared for it with new technique and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. We're getting ready to have a live spectrum. What we were trying to say, you got to walk home. Walk home. Walk home. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's Be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, episode 12. And right off the bat, I want to tell you, of course, I'm Devin Wade. And thank you so much for your support and so much for listening. I know people all over the country are starting to find us. And I certainly appreciate it because it's only coming through word of mouth and you guys sharing things on social media telling your friends we want everybody to know about it and so if you had a chance to listen we want to again thank you so much for your support in this very early the very early stages of what we hope will blossom into something very very fun we're evolving as a program i'm evolving in what we like to do what we like to try with that in mind a lot of fun stuff coming up I want to tell you guys uh, again that if you've told your friends you found us through one platform or, or another uh, you can find us not only on SoundCloud, but you can find us on TuneIn and on iTunes. Now, that's the best way. If you have iTunes, it really on any of the three, you can subscribe. Please subscribe. Give us some feedback. We want to hear what you guys have to think. Want to ha- have uh, any questions. Want to address any questions you might have. Want to do any. We want to be much more interactive. So, again, you can reach me on Twitter at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. All lowercase. In addition to that, you can find me on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page, and the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group. And now, uh, if you had to pick one, pick the group. And that's very interactive. We have some folks representing the Steelers and uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Baltimore Ravens. We have fans from all over that represent, uh, they represent their team, Laker fans. Well, a lot of folks that represent the Lakers. It's a great way to represent your team and get involved, not only on uh, in just listening to the show, but being heard as well. Because we do want your feedback. I do want to hear what you have to say, what you like. We'll have poll questions as well. But again, uh, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page on Facebook and the, the group on Facebook and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and tune in so thanks we got all of that those things out of the the uh, way uh so for episode 12 we coming to you during all-star weekend nba all-star weekend and not much is compelling about the weekend other than uh the uh the westbrook versus durant sort of rivalry this intense dislike these two seem to have for one another and uh, it obviously it's because of durant's not only his departure but the way he departed from Golden State, I'm Team Westbrook all the way. Again, and, and this goes back even further. It goes back even further than that. When you go to to uh, when I like my favorite rivalries in sports, and there are a lot of them, but my favorite is Frazier Ali. And truth be told, Frazier hated Ali to the day he died. And I've said this before: you have to respect the level of hate that great. Now, again, with this one, you know, you don't want to see fisticuffs necessarily, necessarily. Uh, but, but you know, and I'm not being messy. The the point of it is, you want to know that these guys, when you, there's genuine dislike, it, it it amps up a rivalry because you want to know that these guys care as much as you do about uh, this sport. Of course, they make millions. It's been transformative financially for these guys. They don't have a care in the world financially. I mean, obviously, that's not true. That's a sweeping 
generalization, but these guys are multi, multi-millionaires now. So what they care about and what we care about are two different things. What we care about is fans, and the reason why they're able to make those millions is because we invest so much not only financially, but emotionally. We want our teams to win. And when you have two guys that don't like each other, that means that they really want to beat the other guy. And that's what makes us care. It's not that we want to see a uh, the, the crash all the time. We, I want to know that my guy, and I hadn't always had that sense. I, I remember uh, I remember when Barkley was going to, to dinner with Jordan, and Jordan would have these dinners with Barkley, and Barkley would, would speak so highly of Michael Jordan. Oh, that's my friend. That's my friend. And, and you know, you come out the next day and, and Jordan will drop 40 on the Rockets and beat him. It felt uncomfortable. Now, I will say this. I know Barkley really wanted to win, but there's something about not liking your opponent, at least for the hours that you're on the court. Well, these two guys will be teammates this weekend, so it'll be interesting to see how these two play out, how this plays out, how Steve Kerr, the Golden State coach, will manage these different personalities. Now, for his part, Westbrook has not said much about the rivalry at all uh, this week. But you know he he would give his right arm, he really would to 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 beat Kevin Durant, and I just hate the way Durant did it. I don't I just like I got on LeBron James the same way I got on LeBron James. I get on Kevin Durant. You don't go from almost beating the champ to joining the champ. That's not that's not the American way. The, I mean, have, has he not watched? Well, you know what? That's the problem. I've just figured this all out. This generation has not watched Rocky. You have to watch Rocky. Now, again, I know the, in the greater scheme of things, in the long term, Apollo and Rocky became friends. But they didn't become they, – they respected one another after the first fight, but they wanted to beat one another. And even when they got to be friends, remember at the very end of Rocky Three, when, you know, when nobody was looking, he, I, they, they still went at it. So, yeah, the, the, the deal is when you – and this is why I bring up Rocky. When you lose, you have to have the montage where you work that much harder in the offseason to become the best you can be and go back and beat Clubber Lane. This is what you have to do. You have to beat Clubber Lane. And, the, and these guys these days, for the most part, they don't want to beat Clubber Lane. LeBron didn't want to beat Clubber Lane. He wanted to be his sparring partner. I don't know what what how you would you know how that that analogy would work. But LeBron didn't want to beat Dwayne Wade. He wanted to go work with Dwayne Wade. And, and same thing with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, you lost to Drago. You don't go become a Russian citizen so you can be on the Russian boxing team. You get into the montage, you, you, you're running in the snow so you can go back and beat Drago. And that's the reason why I cannot stand Kevin Durant. Maybe it comes down to movies. This generation uh, never saw Rocky. So go back. That's what I would do. I would, I, would t- I would have Kevin Durant taped down to a chair, eyelids taped open, and you have to watch every, every movie, well, at least the first four of Rocky. You have to watch that. And then you come back and say, you look, tear up that contract with Golden State. I'm going back to OKC. But anyway, it'll be interesting to see how that's handled this weekend. But the the, uh, the animosity is real, and I think it makes for a much more interesting uh, NBA season because at the end of the day, we really feel like 
uh, it really feels like it's going to be uh, it on Oklahoma. Actually, uh, check that uh, Golden State and Cleveland. I, I think there are only three teams that have a legitimate shot. And yes, it was fun watching the Rockets do their thing. And yes, it's fun watching Westbrook have these astronomical numbers and triple doubles and and Harden doing the same thing in Houston and and, and, and all the individual performances. Anthony Davis, what he's doing in New Orleans. So many guys doing great, great things. But ultimately, it's not going to make a difference. Now, the road through Cleveland will be a lot easier. Kevin Love banged up. And, you know, the East is closing the gap ever so slightly. But I don't fear for one minute seeing the Washington Wizards or the Boston Celtics or the Toronto Raptors in the NBA Finals. But, you know, that's up for discussion. If you feel that way, let me know. I disagree vehemently. I think it's San Antonio, Golden State, and Cleveland. Those are the three teams that have a chance to be the NBA champs. But as it stands, Golden State is playing much, much better. Kevin Durant is fitting in now. Steph Curry is starting to assert himself and become the Steph Curry that's been a two-time MVP, unanimous MVP pick last season. So uh, that's a, a big, big deal. And the shifting gears here, where in the world will Tony Romo end up? With, now, again, here in Houston, and I have a show here based in Houston, Texas. Here in Houston, it's a big, big deal that Tony Romo could possibly come uh, to play for the Texans. And, and, and with the deficiencies that they have at the quarterback position and the number one defense in the NFL, it's a perfect fit. Now, while that discussion is being had in Houston, it's also being had in Denver, maybe in Jacksonville maybe in Washington, maybe in Chicago, maybe in a number of other cities. I'm sure uh, that the the Tony Romo discussion is running rampant around the country, especially this week when Romo says he feels like he's going to be released and not traded. And I'm telling you, the bidding war is going to be high. But the question is, would you want Tony Romo on your team? I think Denver is probably the best fit. But Cincinnati's a team I thought might be intriguing. You don't you don't get a sense that this type of organization that'll give up on Andy Dalton. But how about just having Romo there? What about even Kansas City? Alex Smith is a serviceable quarterback. He's played really well in stretches. Do you keep going to the well with both Dalton in Cincinnati and Alex Smith in Kansas City? I, I don't know. You have to do something to get over the hump. I don't think that New England is invincible. So in the AFC, there's some teams that can make a play that may feel like they can make a run. Maybe as an outside chance, maybe Jacksonville. Jacksonville has some really talented pieces, but they hadn't gotten a quarterback play out of Blake Bortles, but they've made a coaching change there. Do you stick with Bortles? Does the coach want to maybe take a chance on Romo? Uh, and so there are a lot of teams, including a, a, a team in Washington. You're starting to hear some rumblings about that. We're going to talk to a veteran sports guy from the D.C. area, Mark Gray, in the second half of the show so we can uh, hear from him and get his take on Romo and his landing location. And, again, so that's going on as, uh, the you know, the combine is starting to heat up. NFL talk is starting to take place. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there, but I think that's clearly the biggest move. Another big move, Adrian Peterson, where will he end up? What does he have left in the tank? I think uh, we don't know. I think it's easy to write him off. 
Um, but he he's the guy that's proven a lot of people wrong in coming back from injuries and adversities off the field to come back and have big, big seasons. Let's see if he can do it yet again. Uh, let's look at what the New York Giants, they released Victor Cruz this week and also Rashad Jennings. So they are opening up some cap space. New England has a ton of cap space. Let's see what they do with Jimmy Garofalo. Will they trade him? I would think that they would. I don't think it'll be to the Texans. I know that's another name that comes up. Uh, the Texans and Jimmy Garofalo, I don't think that'll happen. We'll have to see. There's several moving parts, and that's a fun part of of the NFL, NFL offseason to see where some of these teams and some of these players go. Um, One thing that I didn't get into that I certainly want to get into that I didn't over the last couple of weeks, and I don't. If you've listened to my show in Houston, you know that I have been a T.O. guy for many, many, many years. And for T.O. to not get in the Hall of Fame is an absolute travesty. So whatever I need to do, whoever I need to call, I need. We need to get a march. It's a lot of marches going on around the country. We need to take this march to, and, and actually, it, it takes place. It would have to take place on Super Bowl weekend next weekend where all the writers convene to vote on who's going to get in the Hall of Fame. But to keep him out, based on him being a, a bad teammate, if he was a bad teammate, he wouldn't have been able to accrue the, the statistical uh, numbers. The numbers. If he was a bad teammate, he wouldn't be able to accrue the numbers that he did in the game of football. He was a phenomenal player. He, the way it hurt him is that it ended his career prematurely over the last couple of years where he could have played one or two more seasons, but teams just didn't want the headache and they didn't want to deal with the the media freak show uh, surrounding T.O. That cost him a couple of years on the back end of his career because he was still viable. Hey, he looks like he can play today. He's in that kind of shape. But, again, whoever I got to call, what do, what, what do I have to do? Do I have to go – uh, do I have to get the T.O. jersey? Do I have to face paint? We need to get T.O. into the Hall of Fame. And not that I'm, I'm a fan of anybody like that that didn't play before 1983. Before 1983, I'm a, I'm a phenomenal fan. I'm a fan. Well, Earl Campbell, I'm a fan. Jim Brown, fan. You know, nobody, But I, I really do appreciate what T.O. has done. And I love the foolishness. On Sports Talk, he kept us working weeks at a time. He gave us material, hours and hours of material. So for that, I will be eternally grateful for T.O. T.O., we talked about T.O. consecutive weeks during the offseason many years. So that's what he's done for me. Whatever I can do to give back to you, T.O., by getting you into the Hall of Fame, I certainly will do so. With that in mind, I'm going to take a brief time. I'll come back on the other side. Going to talk to veteran sports guy Mark Gray from the D.C. area, get his take on some baseball stuff, some NFL stuff, and some NBA stuff as well. Going to give you a little bit of a, a dance break so you can get your dance on. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on iTunes, yeah. SoundCloud, and TuneIn. It's my tape, man. Listen to my tape. If I was your best friend, I want you around all the time. I want you around me all the time. Girl, I'll be your best friend. If you promise you'll be mine, girl, promise you'll be mine. He said he's just a friend. Uh huh. Now, girl, let's not pretend. Come on. Either he is or he ain't your man. <laughs> he said he's just a friend. If I was your best friend, first we get to talking. 
then we get to touching. If we get past the phone games, we'll be. Uh, I kiss like the French to put my tongue in your ear. Do it like the dogs do a girl and pull on your head. For me, a different scenery just means a different position. In the tub or on the sink, I improvise. Now listen, in the chopper on the jet. Welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. And as promised, a uh, veteran media guy, guy I've been known for many, many years in the D.C. area. My man, Mark Gray, is on the line. How are you, Mark? I'm chilling, Dev. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. And for the longest, I knew that I, you know, I knew I was gonna have you on the podcast. I was always excited about it, but I kind of kept you at one in the chamber. So when I needed you, I knew I could go to you. And I come to you this week on All Star Weekend. And uh, here at the All Star Break, give me your uh, first of all, tell folks who you are and and how they can reach you on social media. That's number one. Well, you can follow me Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Sports Groove. And check out my podcast, which is TSL Sports Talk on Shadow League Radio, which is hosted at the ShadowLeague.com, which is um, the undefeated done right. Not that I would ever <laughs> take a shot at the competition, but we keep it real and get it in at least most of the time. You know what I'm saying? And I'm also writing for the Afro-American newspaper now, part-time host for uh, – CBS Radio's 106.7 The Fan here in D.C., and I'm doing my video thing, of course. You know of HSRN. A couple of weeks I'll be in H-Town for the uh, SWAC tournament. So, uh, you know, it's Texas Southern, and who dares to challenge them, though? Southern is the champ, and they're not going to go down without a fight. It's always cool to uh, come down to Houston, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we always... It's been a wonderful uh, stretch here with three or four years now that you guys have been coming down. It's always fun to catch up with you and uh, and, and watch you do your thing and, and sometimes be a part of what you guys do because you do some phenomenal work. And uh, I want to, before we end our conversation today, I do want to ask you about several aspects, uh, about several aspects uh, of African-Americans in the media. That's something that we... Well, we have instituted with other guys that we've spoken with in the media around the country to get their take on um, where we are as in, in the sports world as it pertains to sports media uh, and the African-American uh, uh, host and writer and, and talent. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I want to start with NBA All-Star Weekend. I've been saying for the longest that it's a three-team race to get to the NBA Finals. I think in the West, it's only talking about two teams, San Antonio and Golden State. And Cleveland in the East, I don't see any real challengers. You're in the D.C. area. I know people are excited about the Wizards. Are there any real challengers, even with an injury-depleted uh, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers team? Wizards are playing good, and there's a, there's greater challenge to Cleveland as anybody, and the matchups outside the LeBron are pretty well. I mean, the thing that would make Kyrie Irving – such a uh, problem can be negated by John Wall, who does have the ability to stay in front of him, which makes for an interesting matchup. Remember the last time they were here, the Wizards were on like a 14-game home winning streak, and it took a freak shot by LeBron, a banker at the end of regulation to force overtime, and it's probably the best game the TNT had on the season. Wizards are for real. Scott Brooks is coach of the year. I can't tell you how impressed I've been with the way he's changed the mindset and his basketball principles, basically coaching John Wall to be Russell Westbrook in the Eastern Conference. If you look at the relentless intact mentality, the way that he creates shot opportunities for his teammates, the way that they take their marching orders from him as a team, you know, he's the playing personality. He is the guy. 
uh, in many respects, you look at the way that Russell Westbrook has imposed his will to make the team go, just like Westbrook, uh, John Wall do so, does those things for the Wizards. So they're good. Now, they the, the, knock, the knock seems to be that they, I mean, obviously not a lot of depth on that team. That, that the, starting, uh, the starting five score more points for their team percentage-wise than any other starting five in the NBA. Talk a little bit about the depth on uh, the, the Wizards team. Well, what's happened is you get Deion Mahimi back, the big acquisition in free agency during the offseason, who played for the Indiana Pacers. That's a big, big, you know, that's a big weapon that they don't have because what you can do now is either, A, if you believe the chemistry with the first unit is not going to be affected too much while he gets his season legs under him, then you move Mahimi into the start lineup and bring Gortat off the bench. If you think the chemistry is going to be affected drastically by moving Mahimi into the lineup, you keep Gortat in, whatever the case may be, Dev, it makes the second unit better. And you're seeing steady, slow emergences with players like Trey Burke, an unheralded glue guy that just sort of does all the dirty work is Jason Smith. Where would they be without him? And the guy that you guys watched when he was uh, you know, doing what Kansas does in basketball throughout the Big 12, but it's ten people in uh, in, in the conference, so I, I get confused. Right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Oubre Jr. has uh, really blocked under yeah. the tutelage of um uh, of Scott Brooks. So the second unit is effective. I think that you got the emergence of Otto Porter, and the Wizards always seem to get a player who's in his contract year who just straight goes off, and then you have to pay him what the market will bear, and that's what they're doing. You know, that's what's going to happen with. Otto Porter, I thought on draft night three years ago that at his max, he would be a Tayshaun Prince type of player. He's turning into what I thought he would be largely because he's healthy. And uh, I just hope when he signs the paycheck (laughs) that he stays healthy. And then Bradley Beal, when he's healthy, I mean, I can make a compelling argument that he's one of the top three shooters in the league. I mean, I think when he's on, he's right up there with the Clay Thompsons and, you know, the Steph Currys and the Gordon Haywards. I mean, guys who are, you know, outside shooting specialists. So they have nice parts that are finally being coached up, and they have a first unit now that's, a legitimate NBA starting first unit, and you've got a second unit that has more legitimate stars than they do scrubs, and suddenly they're a factor. In many respects, they're deeper than Cleveland, though Cleveland has the better players. Now, if you look at the rest of the landscape in the East, Toronto is a team that people talk about. Boston is a team. Uh, what the Serge Ibaka switches, he he goes to, to Toronto. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the 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 rest. I mean, the best is obviously Cleveland. Let's talk about the rest. You you've talked about obviously uh, the Wizards, but what about uh, Toronto and Chicago? I mean, I check that Boston. I think if Boston makes the move, and I put the Hayward thing out there because that's a rumor here on the East Coast that Boston and Utah may be trying to work something out. I know Danny Ainge has been making a lot of phone calls and is, um, you know, looking to shop some players and all of that because he knows he needs himself another scorer. With that being said, I think that 
in the East. Toronto has the experience having made their deep run last year. I'm not quite sure that Abaka makes a difference. Um, he is a big body. He's going to give them what uh, Biombo gave them in terms of a presence and a shot blocker. But his ability to score is not via putback and stuff. He wants to shoot three-pointers, and I'm not quite sure offensively that's what that team needs. I mean, they got scoring. I mean, you know, you got DeMar DeRozan who can get his, Kyle Lowry and DeRozan, both all-star caliber players. So I'm not quite sure that that's a guy that dramatically impacts the East because of his skill set. You know, uh, so it'll be interesting to watch that dynamic and how long it takes for him to get into the flow of the uh, Toronto offense. But as it relates to the Celtics, man, that's the team who I think is one player away. A legitimate score, somebody from the perimeter that can knock down shots consistently. Isaiah Thomas is what Isaiah Thomas is. He's going to get his, and he's going to be deadly in the fourth quarter. Okay? What you got to do now is find somebody who can help get scores, get you know, help with the scoring. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, that dynamic plays as we move into the playoffs. You know, I think there's some moves that can be made, but Boston is the team that may need to make the move. If Boston were to work something out with the Knicks and could get Carmelo Anthony, I think that could change the dynamic in the East. I think if certainly Boston adds a Gordon Hayward from Utah, that changes Jimmy the Butler's name has been thrown out as oh. possible. Uh, Jimmy Butler and from Chicago is trade bait possibly. Well, I, I I don't I don't think the Bulls are that stupid, but this is a team that did that paid Tony Kukoc more in salary than they did <laughs> Michael Jordan. So we know the arrogance that they deal with sometimes. And Gar Foreman and John Paxson got some answering to do because. Those parts haven't gelled as well, and there's definitely a uh, a disconnect somewhere along the lines. You know, Dwayne and Jimmy Butler have an old-school mindset, and I don't think that um, it jives too well with Rajon Rondo, and he's always been a drama king. So <laughs> when you put all that into the mix, somebody needed to really do an assessment of – how he fits into that mix before they make that trade. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or make that acquisition. And I'm not quite sure that Gar Foreman, and he's had a bad couple of years, man. So these aren't the days of Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson when Phil Jackson actually had a brain when they're running the top of a <laughs> franchise. So and you can't talk about the East without the implosion that is the Knicks, which is um, – yeah, and I no. think they take up too much energy, really, because, again, you know, it's a train wreck. And we find ourselves even down here talking uh, a lot about the Knicks. But, again, for what? I mean, yeah, at the beginning of the year you thought, well, if Rose can do something, Porzingis is, is, is growing, Carmelo can defer a little bit more, and maybe, you know, they can get in the mix. But, again, it just, it just isn't working. And it's really a train wreck on and off the court up there. And I don't know uh, what's it going to take to get that organization back on track. Because Dolan's not well, selling the team. Well, I, I know that. So, given that, uh, and Phil's not running it properly either. Somebody needs to just pull the plug, buy Phil out, let him go sit on his, uh, you know, ranch in Montana, smoke on his peace pipe, watch <laughs> Stillwater's, 
and bask in the glow of Zen. Uh, (laughs) It's happened. He's old. He's crotchety. I'm disappointed in his his way he's carried things, his his, his comportment, man. I mean, he's he's made racially pejorative statements. Phil's a smart, learned guy. He knows he knows verbiage. The empowerment that he's used to uh, describe top players, particularly stock players, is reprehensible since he's made his name and has won his championships on the backs of them. So I've lost a great deal of respect. And I always knew Philip was an arrogant, condescending, you know, successful coach. He, he was he, he could be a real uh, condescending turd at times when you had to deal with him during the glory days of the Bulls. But his coaching acumen at that time was so far ahead and the way that he communicated with players to bring the best out of them was just mind-boggling. He's become a crotchety old curmudgeon. Right. I mean, it is what it is. Shifting gears to the West, uh, again, I said two, uh, two-team two race. Don't believe in, in the Rockets. Don't believe in the Clippers. Don't believe in, in, in any other teams other than in possibly San Antonio and Golden State. Uh, is that the way you guys see it on the East Coast? Yeah, San Antonio, Golden State, you want to buy into the Clippers, but they can't stay healthy. I think Houston is a dangerous team now, too. I know you guys are a little close, close to the home, and you still live on the days of Clutch City, but, you know, Akeem and Clyde Drexler ain't walking through that door. And if they do, I'm sure they got VIP, VIP seats that they don't have to worry about security throwing them out from. No. So with that being said, it's a different Rockets team. They're not going to win offensively. They're constructed by an offensive-minded coach who has a tremendous offensive player and decent parts around him. I think Houston is as dangerous as anybody to look the Golden State Warriors in the eye and not blink before going down. I, I, I just like Golden State. I think, to me, Golden State is one rebounder away from sealing the deal. They need, you know, they need that that guy who's just gonna. And they get lost some of those guys. The yeah, work. they lost some of those guys. Obviously, uh, but Bogut was one. They need space. Who, who's was a guy replace Andrew Bogut? Right. Unless you're gonna put that burden on Kevin Durant, who can do a lot. And and again, we may not have seen what Steve Kerr has in store for the rest of the league with Durant during the playoffs because he brings a level of versatility that perhaps only LeBron has. Now, I don't know if he can check LeBron defensively throughout the course of seven games. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I do think that his versatility, he can score in the post. He can defend somewhat in the post. He can, you know, the offense can run through him from the post area and then kick back outside to where he's a facilitator for the shooters on that team. I think Golden State barring injury is still poised to be the NBA champs. I do like them a little bit more than I like Cleveland on paper, particularly without Kevin Love. I think that's a that's a big, big loss for uh, Cleveland. I mean, you talk about that third all-star, but, you know, Kyrie Irving knows he can win now, and he knows he can make the big shot. And when you put those two elements together with a guy like that, if he stays healthy, he can win you two or three games by himself in a seven-game series, and Cleveland is a tough nut to crack. But if uh, on paper right now as we at All-Star Game weekend, I would give Golden State a slight edge over Cleveland 
in the NBA Finals if they started today. Yeah, and and I would probably give them a bigger a bigger uh, edge than that. Uh, I want to uh, talking to Mark Gray, media veteran in the D.C. area. I uh, want to ask you about the 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 Durant uh, Westbrook rivalry. I'm I love the animosity because again. It brings out the best in in athletes. I think when you hate your opponent, nine times out of ten, your best performance is going to come against an adversary uh, that that you genuinely don't like. And and we've gone over, you know, I've I've dinged uh, Kevin Durant for making a choice. Look, I told, I, I said a whole generation of these guys need to be taped down and make them watch Rocky movies because in the montage, when you lose, there's the montage where you work your heart out and then you come back and beat the champ. You don't go work for Club Lane. You don't go join the Russian boxing team. But that's what is happening with this generation of guys. We saw it with LeBron and we've seen it with Durant. And again, guys have free will. You're free to go wherever you want to go. But you don't join the champ. You beat the champ. And, and you know, so I'm Team Westbrook when it comes to this rivalry. What's your take on Westbrook versus Durant? I think that Kevin Durant exercised his right in free agency to do what he thought was best for him. I don't begrudge him for that. Um, it's kind of like if you're working for a station and you may be the number one guy, and it's two soup cans joined by some tightrope and nobody's hearing you, and you get a chance to go to the top station in the market, be number three guy, and everybody's hearing you because you got 50,000 watts, you make that move. And yeah, I but that's, think that yeah, but I think it's the I think it's the number two station versus the number one station. I don't think it's a station seventeen versus station number one. I think it was station number two that could have been number one had you had your heart in the right place. Well, <laughs> and see, but therein lies two different philosophies. Maybe Kevin Durant recognized that Russell Westbrook has tendency to get out of control on court and make bad decisions that swing the direction of games, which is if you look at last year's uh, conference semis when they were up 3-1, Westbrook get caught in the moment sometimes, and you could see that the frustration was building. I happen to know some people that are close to Kevin Durant in this area, and that was the theme that everybody gave to me about the move that he made. It was really more about the way Golden State plays the game and the free-flowing ball movement and the commitment to stick to the theme of what the coach is teaching in crunch time than it, than some of the things that Westbrook was doing. You know, there was some. But, but Durant would game. have his stretches in the fourth quarter where he just didn't play well at all. He missed some well, big shots and made some bad decisions too. And I think it's easier to to say say yeah, this guy's out of control. And yeah, but 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 the the mistakes that Westbrook made came with big leads. You know, where you got a chance to step on the opposition's neck. Whereas the mistakes or the times that Kevin Durant had sputtered, at least according to his camp, and I kind of saw the games in many respects that way too because I was pulling for KD. You know, he's from DMV. He's a great dude. I just, I just kind of thought that there were some times where when he needed to step up, he didn't make big shots, but they shouldn't have been in that position. Much like we saw Atlanta have opportunities to just go ahead and kill the Patriots. I don't. Uh, and they let uh, and they let the uh, 
sleeping dog lie. I think that's what happened with Golden State, and I think that led to the frustration of KD. So it's probably, uh, you know, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks thought that they would be better off without the Temptations, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think it was one of those situations. Didn't work out. <laughs> you know, that's a clever segue for your uh, Friday night audience. For the, yeah, for the Friday Express. Yeah, I appreciate exactly. the reference. I appreciate <laughs> anyway, that. But, yeah. um but on a personal level, you know, I'd encourage you to listen to my uh, podcast. I talked to Scoop Jackson about this this weekend. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that what he talks about is we thought that they were boys. We thought that they were ride or die. I thought Westbrook, I think Westbrook thought that. <laughs> Maybe. And I think what it was for Kevin Durant was that's my ride or die teammate. That may not be my ride or die homie. And in order for me to get great, I got to leave the team and go to a better team so I can achieve some greatness. And while there was the potential for greatness in Oklahoma City, they have achieved greatness already in Golden State, which is part of the reason that I think LeBron had to go to Miami to learn how to win a championship from D-Wade which helped him be a better leader when he made his second stop back to Cleveland. I don't know if there's a second stop back to Oklahoma City for Kevin Durant. He's got to learn how to win a championship. And maybe he felt that he couldn't learn what it took to win the championship by staying in Oklahoma City. I just wish that he had had a conversation with Russell Westbrook and just been like, yo, Russ, you know, not not nothing short. Could have been a text, could have been a tweet, you know, something, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, bro, yeah. I'm out. I, th- I don't think I can win it here. I'm gone. And, and I think this, I think it really hurt the NBA. You could talk about what will happen in, in, in June, but ultimately, you know, it hurt the NBA because can you imagine – if if Durant was back in OKC, so there's another team shooting at Golden State. You know what I mean? And and, and you don't know what would have happened had he stayed. Uh, but again, that's another team along with the Clippers and San Antonio and now the emerging Houston Rockets. But what when you, what you do now is you solidify super team, uh, a super team, and, and then you have another super team in the East, and it, it's not as compelling or intriguing for the regular season well, for a lot true. of folks. You 100. percent Correct with that. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll also say that this is the first time that players have had unfettered leverage. Right. You know, they can go ahead and manipulate. Now, if you want guys, if you want the elite level of your NBA family to represent for the United States and play on the Olympic team, which is traditionally the best collection of talent at that time in the world, don't think that relationships ain't going to form. Don't think that players aren't going to uh, develop a certain found level of respect for each other based upon their personal interactions. They begin to enjoy the company that they keep. If you can work with your boys and do some great things, kind of like LeBron's team, not the Cavaliers, but, you know, uh, Maverick Carter and the boys, then you move and surround yourself with people like that. The NBA, pragmatically these days, with these super teams, are players exercising their rights to put themselves to work with the best people at the best company so they can do the best job in the case of instead of making the most money, win championships and be defined by greatness? Well, uh, and, and, I, and again, and, and, I, I, and I, on a macro level again, and, and in a real-world context, I, yeah, I have no problem with a guy choosing to work and live 
where he wants to. I no problem. But as a sports fan in this vacuum that we can you know create for ourselves, I just can't imagine. I cannot imagine Michael Jordan saying, "You know what? Uh, the Pistons are giving me the Blues. Let me see if if they can get rid of Mark Aguirre and 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 I'll I'll you know I'll join the Pistons." I just can't imagine that from a well. That's a, thirty and, years ago. Yeah, uh, I, I know, you know. I know, and to- that's totally that's, different game than than now. Um, but that's what that's totally what I grew different. up loving. And see, that's what we did. But we're old, dude. You need to face the fact that when you make the 50 club. I ain't made the 50 club. Now, come on. Mark, you give me some years now. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I made the 50 club. Congratulations so I'm, I'm, on that, by the way. I'm the constant, you know, and I wear it well because I had too many boys for a variety of different reasons, whether it was health issues or homicide, that didn't make it. Right. So let me represent for Gen X for a second and have to say, I get it. I don't necessarily agree with it. But in the words of Chris Rock, I understand. So <laughs> I'm not going to begrudge, you know, the youngins for representing themselves and putting themselves in the best position to do what they feel can win them a championship. Uh, remember, it was it was um, Jerry Krause when they broke up the Bulls that said teams don't win championships, organizations do. And they let Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen walk. In a related story, the Bulls have never gotten back to the NBA Finals, nor won it. So when you look at the organizational arrogance throughout the league, and as much as we talk about Durant and LeBron going to places and being part of super teams, let's talk about owners in sports who've blown up potential dynasties because of their arrogance. Just Jerry Jones with the Dallas Cowboys when you had the triplets and the, and the first generation of the best offensive line in NFL history. You know, we mentioned the Bulls already. We saw how Charlie Finley did it with the Oakland A's back in the 70s. Owners have broken up teams with the potential for greatness for many, many years throughout our lifetime, Dev. And they've never been held to the scrutiny that the players who come together to win championships have done. And you tell me the fans in Miami and Cleveland aren't appreciative of the time that they had, and that's what it's about. I think the regular fan in their town would like to see their team be in a position to do the same thing and be the hated team. I mean, the Bulls were a super team that kind of stayed together during the 80s. Uh, nobody was thinking about moving, but they didn't have that right. So I'm not going to hate on the kids when the owners have been doing the same thing for years. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it just you boils know, down NFL to... teams will, won't sign players because they count against the salary cap after they had a career season. It's just it's it, it's crazy how players get scrutinized by being the owners at their game. Right, and and, I, and again, you know, from a macro level, uh, you know, yeah, I get all of those things, but just from a competitive level, when you, you know, like, like I said, when you just look like, look at what, you, what do you love about the sport? You love the competition. You love having that hated rival. And speaking of, and, and I want to segue and pivot off of that, uh, rumor has it that if you don't, franchise Kirk Cousins, whatever, whatever. If you don't want Kirk Cousins, Romo may be a possibility in Washington. Hell no. That's I, a, have you that's heard a, that? I mean, complete I just... and unequivocal hell no. <laughs> it will never happen. I would 
Look, <laughs> I run half naked down Main Street in Houston if Tony Romo ever wears burgundy and gold. That will never, ever Hey, but, hey, the, hey the, the youngsters are trying to go out and put themselves in the best situation. I mean, no, what, <laughs> no, that's not a good situation for. Look, That'd be a great situation for for both Washington and Tony Romo. No, it wouldn't because if there's a Texas quarterback that's going to start, if Kirk Cousins goes, it would be Colt McCoy. <laughs> Colt McCoy has a lot of favor, particularly with Jay Gruden, in that organization. Trust and believe. Part of the reason that they haven't signed all the way off or going all the way in on Kirk Cousins is that they believe somewhat in, in, in Colt McCoy. He can get you over the hump. So this is an interesting situation. What, what, so does the rest of the fan base feel like you about, about Roma? Pretty much. I mean, you don't want Dallas baggage brought to Washington <laughs> anymore because there's been Dallas garbage just come here and just stank. I mean, James Washington was just awful. And that's the one that, that, that comes to mind most notably. I mean, you know, we got Gene Fugit back in the day, but the millennials have never heard of him. And he was on, you know, the other side of the hill as well. No, no, we don't want anything Dallas. I mean, uh, you know, what you, what you got to do, though, is – since you brought Cousins up, they have botched it, okay? It, 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 is, it is an abject failure. So what you need to do is just go ahead. You know, he's, he's in, Cousins is in a great position. If he, They have to send out the qualifying offer, the franchise tag. He's going to sign it. That's a guarantee of $24 million. It forces their hand to have to do a long-term deal by what he wants structured the way that he wants right now. I don't think the organization is going to do that. So, do you sign up for one year knowing full well that if you don't get a deal done? Because I think if they sign him to the franchise tag, he's not going to sign any deal from them. He's going to want to go test the waters. Then San Francisco and L.A. both become in play for really big money. And who knows who's going to be in desperate need of a quarterback? Say, Houston. Well, that's um, why the Romo conversation. Yeah, Romo, the Romo conversation is already here in Houston. Uh, Denver, I know, is, is a, uh, another team. On that, But, again, L.A. has to have his evaluation of Kirk Cousins. But Romo is, a, a, is a, the talk of uh, of Denver as well. So. Now, to me, to me, Romo fits perfectly in Houston. You identify the consistency with the running back position. You got good receivers who took a step back because the quarterback down there is just too tall. Well, he, I mean, he's Herman the dude. Herman, Herman, Herman Edwards said it best. It's difficult for guys above 6'4 to play quarterback in the league because the play, their ball placement, they have to throw downhill. And what do you notice most about Osweiler? He misses high. He his misses all sorts of throws. Too high for his, his his point of release is too off because he's his because of his size. You know, you can power forwards can play tight end. Power forwards are not quarterbacks in the NBA. Okay, that's 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 something we gotta we gotta come to the harsh reality of. You know, once you get to six four six five, that's it. That's all you got. Yeah, you well, know. this is the deal on that, and, and and for what for various reasons, Osweiler is is, is not progressed and and been nearly what they thought he would be. Uh, but you can't. I don't think you can tie. There will be a bidding war for Romo, especially with him coming out anticipating, and, and it looks like he will be released instead of traded. You know, the market will heat up. 
really, really quickly for, for Romo. And I would think a team like Chicago may be in play. Maybe, maybe even Cincinnati. Maybe even uh, Jacksonville if they want to get rid of Blake Bortles. There'll be enough people that'll throw money at him that he'll, that he'll be cost prohibitive for this team where they can go out and spend money on some secondary guys and, and really showing up that offensive line. So I don't think it's a realistic possibility here. Uh, but it's just it, it makes for fun sports hey, talk. You know something? I think this is the year that you got to give Tom Savage a, a legitimate opportunity. Eat the loss. You only got one more year on the hook that's guaranteed for your boy Osweiler. Defensively, you got the best D in the league. We've seen it. You win championships playing defense, running the football, and when those one of those or three of those five plays that are available to the game and during the game that really swing the game. You make those plays in the passing game. And Houston looks New England in the eye and doesn't blink. Played them as tough as anybody with with uh, Manure under center. And let's be real for a second. You know, I know the the rodeo is on its way to Houston, but the Manure was left from football season, and he was up under center quarterback for the Texans. I'm sorry, dude. He played like <laughs> Buffalo Chips. Yeah, All right. Yeah. You know it. I know it. Fans of the Texans know it. People around the country know it. It was what it was. Brock Osweiler played like Buffalo Chips. If you can get Tom Savage to manage the game in Peyton Manning, his last season in Denver type of management, run the football, solid defense, don't make mistakes that put the team in a position that they have to overcome them like we saw against New England. You play for the AFC Championship, bro. You could, you could conceivably host it. Okay, your division is not that good. I mean, Andrew Luck is there, but what's around him? Jacksonville is what? Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Jacksonville and, and look, Tennessee in his division will be the team yeah, to beat with a healthy Mariota. Season, Tennessee figures. Mary, we don't know if Mariota is going to be Mariota. I, I don't you know. know Savage, so I, I don't I think, think it's the that ultimate. this should be for me, for me as an outsider. And I know there's been doom and gloom in Houston for so long, but I've always seen the sunlight between the trees down there. If Tom Savage can be coached up to manage the game, if Bill O'Brien can take the same principles of the New England offense that is still being run, that he was a part of, you have the parts down there. You have backs that can catch. You have receivers that can get. You have better receivers in New England. I mean, let's be real for a second. The receivers look bad. Because their quarterback stank. So I and then the defense is what the defense is, man. You get JJ Watt back, man. Look, I'm talking about terrorism in the United States. Every NFL Sunday being led by JJ Watt and Jadavian Clowney. It's crazy. Well, look, the I, defense is that good. It hasn't had the best two players on it to play together. Ever and and and, and, and healthily, yeah, and, and right. So, but here's 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 what it is, and, and I'll tell you from from my perspective. Okay, you have three teams that are, are virtually are really the same blueprint. You have Kansas City, Denver, and Houston. All of these teams have tremendous defenses. It's just that Cleveland and Denver are ultimately better at it. The the, the Texans beat the third-string quarterback in Oakland. It's no guarantee that if if Derrick Carr was healthy that they would have even gotten out of the first round. So, again, and nobody believed for, for a minute that they had a chance to beat New England. And, in fact, they had a chance to go down really big in that game. A 15-yard penalty extended the Texans' drive. They were able to put in a score and build up some confidence in that game. But nobody for a minute thought. And, and, and to their credit, they played a 
lot better than most people anticipated. Are you sure you're not living on the East Coast? I'm just saying, <laughs> this, is the, this is the way they carry it in Philly and New York. All right, it's, it's doom and gloom. You're, you're right. You, you play the third-string quarterback, but you know something? That's not your fault. You right. won the game. They, and, 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 and check it out. With what I'm saying, how to many you, times is that, that going to happen? As though? a game manager and not making mistakes, you got a chance to beat Oakland. All right, it wasn't no guarantee that Oakland was going to come down in there with David Carr or Derek Carr, I should say, and beat Houston against the top-rated defense. There were things, objectively speaking, that you had going in your favor if you had a competent quarterback. I mean, That's the that, point I mean, I'm trying to make. Right, right. All is the, not lost right. in Houston. Things are not as bad off as you guys see it because you live it and are ready as fans to take the next step. I get all that. But I look at your cup a lot more <laughs> half. half full than half empty. My, I just see it a different way from the outside. <laughs> and let me jump in here before we get out of here. And I do want to shift gears and talk a little bit more about serious things in our industry. You know, being on the area at KTSU, things have happened in the industry that are not always favorable for us as talent. And But, I, you know, you understand the position of being a gatekeeper. The gatekeepers are keeping us out in a lot of ways, at least. I, and I'll speak to, to this market. You don't get the opportunities. Uh, there's a, 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 a void there that should be filled by a lot of talented African-American guys in the media that, that's not getting a field and, and guys are not being heard and not the exposure is not there for a lot of really, really competent, entertaining, and qualified people. Uh, so I always want to ask guys from around the country in the world of media, what's going on for the for African Americans in media in the D.C. area? Well, you didn't play for the Redskins, you don't get on. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, you know, this isn't one of those deals where uh, you know you, you sugarcoat it anymore. The masses would much rather have black former pro athletes, primarily football players, to converse about sports. The point I'm trying to make is these guys would like to have pro athletes and frat boys doing their sports talk programming. And even if you're black and you're getting numbers, it doesn't sustain you. I think the two live stews are the personification of that. And that's a little close to me because I kind of felt like at 790 of his own, I was the first black guy who was a non-pro athlete who killed it in the ATL. So when I go to ESPN and there are these two brothers that come along and they have the highest numbers in sports talk radio programming history in that moment, it, it's bothersome. It, it bothers me to know him because in many respects, what you laid it on the line and what you took lashes for simply didn't work out. It's really disappointing in that regard. So there are a lot of can't, – I can't tell it to you any other way, man. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people lament the fact that you don't have black people in the decision-making positions for at newspapers or on television news desks. Hell, there are no black program directors in sports talk. And if you get a board operator position and they don't give you the chance to move on the air and stuff like that, it's absolutely crazy. Black voices matter now. And they have to matter in the podcast world. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of the talent out there. of what we do, right? You know, because and then let's be clear for a second. Oftentimes, black radio penalizes you if you're younger for not being as old as the older heads 
who aren't playing to the new audience. And, I mean, you know, black programming got to get off of that. You know, what happened back, you know, because it was relevant in, you know, 1987, hey, that's great, historical perspective. New school don't want to hear that. They want to know what's relevant from 2007 to 2017. And when your audience shifts, you got to roll with the audience. Black programming hadn't moved with the audience. So you got the establishment that doesn't give doesn't give black non former professional athlete an opportunity to pontificate, and then you got black media who's holding on to the vestiges of the days of Howard <laughs> Cosell. You know, and, and 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 yo, it's great. You know, old guy radio has its place on the podcast, but you just can't take it off the mainstream to allow for ancient conversations which have a place but don't drive the needles and, and earn a revenue. You know what I mean? Right, right. So black uh, voices matter, and they have to, and, and where they matter most right now, on a variety of different perspectives. You know, news, sports, politics, life, holding um, POTUS 45 accountable. Um, <laughs> you know, if you got your little insulated bully pulpit and you can put facts out there, that's the way the game's got to be played now. For us, the difficulty is monetizing it. You know right, what I mean? Right, And right. that's always been the case. But the establishment seems so anti, except for so few. You know what I'm saying? Same thing. Uh, I look at Stephen A. every day. I was doing the same thing Stephen A. was doing at ESPN. They told me it would never work. Uh, they said, you know, uh, nobody wants a black guy screaming at you. Of course, they were saying people that said Stuart Scott wasn't going to work either. And we saw how Stuart Scott played to the younger generation and rode that wave to became to become the icon that he is and pretty much changed the, changed the landscape of the way that we get our sports information via broadcast media. What we see now is Stuart Scott all over the place on so many different levels. Um, we're going to see, you know, in some respects, maybe Jamel and Michael Hill, Michael uh, Michael Smith with SC6, which is great, take it to another level as far as the non-black or African-American sports media professional professional in what they do, but locally, in mass, I don't understand what's going on, and I don't think that, that program directors are trying to reflect the uh, diversity of their community unless you're a former athlete, and the sad thing about that, quite frankly, bro, is that oftentimes those guys are out of touch. They live in the suburb, suburbs. They don't know what it's like to travel to crack sidewalk, you know, what it's like to live in high-rise and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes takes and perspective gets jaundiced and our voices get left out. Yeah, it, it's a tough, tough thing. And I think, again, there's a, a large audience out there that's not getting fed. And there's so much talent and it's all, uh, it's, it's, you know, dispersed around podcasts and, and uh, different uh, avenues. Uh, yeah, when, platforms, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it, you know, and, and it's fun and that you had the freedom to do these things. But I, again, monetizing it and, and really capitalizing on what's out there. And again, you know, you hire one more 25 year old who went to Northwestern who has no no Houston ties whatsoever. It gets exactly. to be it gets to be uh, a really really uh, a frustrating, it's frustrating. thing. It really it, is, and not it even really for is. me, but for it the really audience. Is. Or or in many respects, I'm sorry, I hate to be like this, but 
the cute girl who knows nothing but the but the news director and program director like to look at her, right? And right. they'll let her make mistakes and deal with it. When you got somebody, I mean, I can tell you stories about me right now, twenty five years in, into the game, and um, people won't let me contribute, even if I want to give them content. You know, yeah, such yeah. as the online stuff and things of that nature. You know, when somebody tells you, well, we don't have room for it, and then you see one of those 25-year-old kids, you know, get a chance to shine, it just kind of slaps you in the face. I mean, I'm a, I'm an award-winning content creator. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that's, that's what I do and, you know, still get dissed. Yeah, well, how can folks? You know, uh, how, how can folks hear your podcast again? Give them your contact information as we wrap this thing up. It's uh, TSL Sports Talk on Shadow League Radio, which can be found at theshadowleague.com. dot um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Sports Groove, and uh, follow me because we got some big things coming up next weekend. I'll uh, do my, uh, wow, I think it's like seventh straight year as National Radio Voices CIAA Championships. Wow, already. Uh, I'll, I'll come down for Houston, and this will be the fourth straight year that we'll do the SWAC Championships. And then uh, I'm looking forward to December where it'll be year number five. You know, wow. so that's what I do. And, you know, stay tuned for a whole lot more. Also, I know you guys got an HBCU Alumni Alliance chapter down there in Houston, and uh, I'm the host for this year's uh, HBCU Alumni Alliance Weekend in D.C., and it's going to be off the hook. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we got a lot of things coming up, man. Hope to be doing some more stuff with uh, David Fox charity charitable organization. Really enjoy working with those people for his uh, celebrity roast that normally comes up in May. So uh, there's a lot going on away from it. It's not doom and gloom, but you know, I think it was, uh, I hope I don't scare people making this reference, but uh, it was Reverend Farrakhan who's been preaching for years, do for self. And uh, it's funny how uh, he and Trump are aligned in that little particular way of doing things and just have totally different uh, views on how to achieve that goal. But that's what it's about right now, bro. Yeah, um, do no, for doubt. Self. no doubt. Hey, man, well, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. And we could talk. We didn't even get into the Nationals and, and some baseball stuff, but we, yeah, we'll we we'll get you on again. We want to work, work into the rotation from time to time. Always enjoy hearing from you, man. And I look forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks as you make your way down to H-Town. Yeah, man, we got to hit poppers, poppacitos, you know. The whole, the whole nine. <laughs> I'm coming to see the papa. <laughs> and the mamas, too. <laughs> hey, man, appreciate it. That is is Mark Gray and again want to thank you guys for hanging out inside the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast again on iTunes tune in and SoundCloud you can tweet me at Wade's Word and of course the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook thanks so much for sharing make sure you check out the polls on those pages and again have a great day great day